0: I'm Dan Persons, movie reviewer for Hour of the Wolf. The title of the new French animated film, April and the Extraordinary World, is something of a misnomer, suggesting a fantasy in which a young girl visits a realm of fairies, unicorns, elves, etc. There are fantastical creatures in the film, but none born of gossamer, and the actual French title, as translated by the subtitles, April, and the Twisted World is more fitting, since the film is set in an alternate history where the Napoleonic dynasty has endured decades into the 20th century, the world's great scientific minds, including Einstein, Edison, and Fermi, have mysteriously vanished, and technology has stagnated at the steam-powered level." Coal supplies have dwindled, charcoal stores aren't much better, France is at war with the U.S. over its resources, and the last remaining trees are sequestered in museums, turning Joni Mitchell from an ironic critic of the human condition to historic balladeer. That the film acknowledges the spoilage is interesting. Steampunk doesn't always consider the repercussions of carrying all that filigreed iron and smoke-belching boilers past their real-world expiration dates. But it's very much the heart of April and the Extraordinary World. The titular April, voiced in the French version by Marianne Cotillard, is the full-grown daughter of two vanished scientists working on a formula to prolong life. She's got a couple of sidekicks in a sardonic bioengineered talking cat and a petty thief maybe boyfriend voiced by Philippe Caterine and Marc-André Grandin, respectively, and is being chased by villains who have a captain Nemo esque ambiguity to their motivations, directly connected to the maladies of this brave new Iron Age world. Directors Christian Damar and Frank Akinchi in adapting the graphic novel by Jacques Tardy, have retained the artist's muted colors and dense detail, like a comics page come to life and a very fitting visualization of a world slowly suffocating itself. Lots of rich invention here. The Eiffel Tower now has a twin, and both spires serve as a launching platform for mammoth cable cars, and there's a Wonders of Science exposition that features such amazements as bearded Siamese twin ladies and a mechanical dance floor where couples can pull aside their gas masks for a tender kiss. All in all, April and the Extraordinary World plays like Heavy Metal magazine made a stab at appealing to a family-friendly audience. There is a darkness to its adventures that makes it not the best fit for extremely young eyes. For everyone else, though, it's an engaging adventure. And I know it's late, but I finally got to see Deadpool and had a thought about it. Overall, it's a fun film, and the fact that the titular anti-hero, played by Ryan Reynolds, in the heat of battle frequently breaks the fourth wall to deconstruct superhero franchises as they are currently offered, is a clever way of separating yourself from the pack. You know what would have been really radical? If Deadpool had also broken the fourth wall during those moments that are meant to build sympathy for the guy. If he had, at those points, turned to the camera and said... See how easy it is to get you on my side? Director Tim Miller doesn't do that, because as much as Deadpool pokes at the big studio superhero franchise, it is still a big studio superhero franchise, and that would just be a step too far. I don't really hold that against the film, because it is clever enough otherwise, but it does draw the distinction between something truly iconoclastic and something that just offers up the trappings. Being a big-budget studio film, Deadpool has no shortage of eye-popping special effects. The Turkish horror film, Baskin, has only one major effect, and his name is Mehmet Cherahoglu. Making his feature film debut, and perhaps his only film appearance in this tale of a police squad who stumbles into the lair of a bloodthirsty cult, Mr. Cherahoglu, playing Baba, the cult's leader, grabs attention not just for his charismatic bearing, but for his physical presence, a strange wizened look that suggests a lifetime spent in seclusion, contemplating unearthly depravities. Really, if the organizers of the Rondo Hatton Awards ever want to change their mascot, Cherihoglu would be a fitting candidate, with more chops as an actor to boot. Baskin, which means police raid in Turkish, by the way, is exactly the kind of film Jim Freund warned me against covering here, reveling as it does in torture and gore for their own sakes, and with a twist ending that's more, oh, come on, then, aha! But there is an emotional underpinning to the policeman's interactions, particularly the relationship between an older officer and his protege, and a surreal intensity culminating in Baba's advent that makes this trip worthwhile for those who can handle it. Speaking of indelible monsters, the artist, Chet Zar, cavorts with monsters daily, turning out painting after painting of strange and frequently soulful creatures that navigate a path between the grotesqueries of H.R. Giger and the vivid palette of Frank Frazetta. The new documentary, I Like to Paint Monsters, the Chet Zar Story, which is now out on DISC and VOD delves into the artist's process, discovering that the fiends that find their way to canvas are actually part of Tsar's paradoxically spiritual and decidedly non-traditional self-exploration. Director Mike Correll interviews friends and families and documents Tsar as he prepares for the mounting of a major exhibition called Ego Death, discovering in the process a benign soul that has found its wellspring in an affinity for the macabre. One may have questions about an artist who at his peak was turning out 40 paintings a year He since backed off, but as I like to paint Monster's documents, the inspiration does appear to come from a very real and surprisingly loving place. And if you're a hardcore retro horror fan circa 1970s, you might want to check out The American Horror Project Volume 1, a Blu-ray disc set of restored and rather esoteric entries from that rarefied time between the death of the big studios and the rise of corporate showbiz. I don't know that you could call any of these films here essential classics by any stretch of the imagination – The Witch Who Came From the Sea features a female serial killer and crosses soft core explicitness with weird psychodrama. The Premonition is about a mentally ill woman trying to wrest her daughter away from the girl's adoptive parents with some paranormal quote-unquote science shoehorned in. And Malatesta's Carnival of Blood is largely an exercise in Rococo weirdness for Rococo weirdness's sake. But as a time capsule of a period before all the glitches and kinks of independent filmmaking had been ironed out, all three films offer an intensity and unpredictability that make them worthwhile studies for the truly committed horror fan. As noted, this is the first volume of the American Horror Project. I do hope there are more. I'm Dan Persons. Now is the time when we must make our stand. Speak out against hatred, speak out against fear, speak out against greed, speak out against Trump.